the very first conversation you have with a customer, the customer's got to sit back and say, wow, that was a valuable discussion. I really got something out of that. I want to spend more time with this person. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I have John Smybert with us, and we're going to talk about winning complex B2B deals. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Delighted to be here. I've uh, listened to a number of your uh, podcasts and love what you do. Appreciate it. Um, well, by way of introduction, John led the sales team in a large IT and in, in several actual large T providers um, over 39 years. And uh, since 2004, John has worked with B2B selling organizations to transform the way they sell. John is passionate about enhancing professionalism in sales, and this led him to found the Sales Leader Forum and the Sales Masterminds APAC. So um, Australia Pacific uh, is the APAC. So he also co-authored a sales novel called The Wentworth Prospect, which we're going to talk about today a bit. And it focuses on a young salesperson um, from a startup software company attempting to sell into a large corporation. Um, so, uh, definitely sounds like it's, sounds like it was written about me, John. Is it, was it, was it, was it about me? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it was, but yeah, certainly, um, I, I think, uh, we, I was trying to, um, work out how I'd communicate, uh, how to sell effectively. Uh, and, um, I had to choose, uh, the organization that was doing the selling. So that was a, a cybersecurity software company. And um, I've had a lot of experience in selling to banks and financial institutions. So I chose a financial institution as the target customer and we wrote a story. And it's, um, I, th- I think the feedback we're getting, it's a great novel, I think almost standalone novel, but it is a sales book too. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, and that, I think that's a great way for people to learn about a career in sales is to, is to because people learn through stories, right? And if a story's a good story it, it it pulls them in it's it's amusing and you know gets them gets them wrapped around it and they finish the book and they 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 realize oh i just learned all about the sales career like uh it kind of reminds me of, i was just talking to a friend about they they watched uh they just watched this this i don't know i don't know i guess it was a documentary or something about about uh not NASCAR, but the the other type of faster cars that ride ride around. I forget what they're called. Um, Grand Prix cars. Or? Exactly. Yeah. The 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 supercars. You know the, and uh, and they want and and now they're super into it because they they got educated all about this over the course of like the you know watching a season of this uh, of this show about it and and and, I'm, and it was because they they told a story around it right and uh, and so the, what a great way to learn. So that was the idea. Um, I've written books in the past and they've been textbooks, um, developed a lot of content around sales, uh, but trying to get somebody to get their mind around what the whole thing is, has to be the way to do it, has to be a story. Uh, and I learned a lot through the process. I know I'm not a novelist and I've got to say to the people out there, um, yes, a lot of the thinking and the, the sales side of it is my content, but the novel itself uh, was written, the three of us writing it, there was myself and a, and a partner of mine, 
And then a novelist came in and worked with us because we realised after attempting you know, so many false starts that we're not novelists. Uh, <laughs> and he took us through how to write a novel and built a story. So you've got, you know, the heron, uh, the 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 um, sales leader of the heron being killed in a car accident uh, very early in the in the book, and and she's injured in the same car accident. And uh, there's a whole host of cut and thrust, and you know things happening, all, all which are natural things that happen through sales, but not necessarily car crashes, but, but um, yeah, it's, it's a great page turning novel that he helped us produce. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've, I've now decided this will be my last novel. I'm never going to attempt it again. I'm not a novelist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, me neither. I, I, I wouldn't know where to start, but uh, it sounds, it sounds like you've created something really cool and, and it's about a complex sale. What's, Tell, tell us what what are the characteristics of a complex sale to you compared to more of a simple one, and how, how do you define that? Well, first of all, I sometimes struggle with the word complex, but I, I haven't come up a bit with a better way of describing it. To me, a complex sale is is it's a B two B sale where the the buyer has multiple people involved in the in the process of buying. Uh, the, the seller is pulling a solution together that's configurable that will be different for everybody they sell to, uh, and so you've got to get, you go through a whole lot of complexities in that. In first of all, understanding your customer, all the people involved in the buying journey, uh, and in the making of the decision, and and how to help those people through that journey and help them make a decision. That's very very complex, and then trying to configure uh, or identify what the solution might look like with them and then configuring a solution that will actually deliver the outcome the customer is looking for. It becomes very complex. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and tell me about what are some of the challenges that you see small businesses face when they're selling to large organizations that you kind of approach in the book? By the way, this is not just small organizations. I'm working with big organizations too, and, and they have some of these same issues. But small mm -hmm. organizations, particularly startups, you know, mature startups, have these sorts of problems. And, and what are they? They have a wonderful mousetrap, a wonderful bit of software that's going to change the world. Uh, and, and they very quickly find that people don't want to buy a product. They want to buy an outcome. Uh, it's really interesting in the book. Two-thirds of the book is about discovery, uh, disruption in thinking, taking the customer through a thinking journey, all without ever discussing the product. So the heroine doesn't discuss the product at all for two-thirds of the book. And to me, that's what selling is. It's a consultative process. You're working with the client. You're helping them formulate, understand what the current situation is and the problems and the implications of those problems very, very clearly and spending a lot of time on that to get it under, get help them get to understand it. I've got a uh, customer that turned around once to me when... Uh, when I early in my career, when I walked in and said, oh, "Let's let's do a discovery. I want to do a discovery," and he said, "Well, I don't want you to do your discovery. I want you to help me do my discovery." And and a good selling is about that. Yes, you're both discovering, but a good seller knows how to help the customer discover uh, and do their own discovery. Yeah. So 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 long long answer to a simple question but basically it's all about helping the customer identify what outcome they're looking for and selling that outcome not selling your product yeah and i think that's particularly difficult for smaller organizations that only have one product one thing in their bag 
um, and, and aren't really selling a full solution, but they're selling a product. Um, you know, early in my career, I worked at IBM and we sold solutions. We would wrap together hardware, software, consulting engagements all into one solution that we would bring to the product, to the, to the prospect. And so it was, it was almost easier to just like step back and just talk to them in general about their problems. It's much harder for say one of my sales reps, uh, like we don't really have a solution. We have, it's like, if you have this one problem, we have this one product that solves it. And so it's more it's harder to talk about the general challenges, I think, for, 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 all, and most sales reps, I think, fall into this, in, into this challenge because they don't work for, you know, companies that do everything like IBM. They, they work for companies that do a couple of things. And so it's the, the zooming process or the, 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 the focusing process from when you're talking about like what are the problems that this organization has down to, well, I have this one product that will solve one of your 25 problems. And here's why you should solve that problem next or in the next three things you do and not just put it on the list that doesn't get done for 10 years that's Steve, uh, Steve, that's Steve, what i see every every organization's got a simple product and it's not configurable really need to still get their mind around this let me tell you a story if you don't mind yeah i had a a client and it came out of the blue this this client was it was one of the bosch companies and they sold abrasives now i joke about it they sell sandpaper right Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, we're not selling effectively. Can you come in and help us look at how we can sell more effectively? Uh, and basically, bottom line is what I've just talked about. You know, we've got to learn how to get in, do a discovery with the customer, understand what their challenges and issues are, and then take them through a thinking journey of maybe a new way in which they can do a better job. It could be a manufacturer and so on. In this particular case, a young lady uh, in the sales team, um, one of her territories was up and down the East Coast was, were, were all the surfboard manufacturers. Uh, you know, Australia's a big surfing co- uh, country, so lots of those manufacturers. Uh, and, and she used to go in and say, you know, you know, what sort of sandpaper you need today? We've got this range and, you know, you, know, you choose. And, you know, she was a rep. Uh, well, after she went through the program, she, she became the domain expert in surfboard manufacturing. And she'd walk in and ask questions about how you're getting and what are the problems you've got, what feedback are you getting from your clients, how are you going about addressing that, have you thought about this, have you thought about that. Not without, without discussing a product at all, she became the number one provider, just took that whole market up and down the East Coast because she never talked about her product. She was a consultant helping them produce better surfboards. But she got 100% of the market or close to it. Such a valuable lesson for for all of us, uh, truly is. Um, how do you when you're going through that discovery process with a customer? How how do you help them identify their needs, wrap their heads around the problems, and then and then redirect into into purchasing your particular product? I think we need to go back one step and think talk about a buying journey. And how does a buying journey occur? And when are we entering into that buying journey? Uh, we, all, we all talk about our, our sales process. Um, and in this day and age, we do talk a lot more about the buying journey, but I'm not sure we all get our mind around what that means. Now, CEB or now Gartner did a lot of research uh, with the challenger sale model. And, and, and their research said that most customers never invited a supplier in until they were 57% of the way through the buying journey. And so yeah, a lot of people said, okay, if that happens, then how do we sell when we're 50, they're 57% of the, through the buying journey? Well, my answer is you don't. 
if somebody's 50%, 7% through the buying journey, it's too late. We can't consult with them. Yes, we can sell a product. We'll get drawn into price wars and all sorts of things. So we need to be there very early in the buying journey. Uh, and that's right back when the status quo is being upset. In fact, if we're really good salespeople, we can upset the status quo ourselves. And that's generally driven by some trigger that's happened in, in their business or in their industry or even outside their industry where there's a major shift in happening and, and you can bring some thoughts to the table which will upset their status quo and getting them start to think we've got a whole new opportunity or issue we have to address and they start that buying journey. So it needs to be back at that point. The example I just gave, gave of the lady um, selling uh, sandpaper <laughs> abrasives to the, um, the the surfboard industry she she would go in and and, and raise some issues uh, and you know here's something new that's happening in your industry have you thought about it what impact is that going to have on you let's go and look at what issues that's going to create or opportunities it's going to create for you and you start that consultative process very very early so for all those salespeople out there that are used to having a customer call you in or call up a customer saying, are you ready to buy a product? Okay, let me come in and start selling my product to you. You've got to get out of that mode. That's not selling. That's putting a product on the table. It's a product sale, which in this day and age will be almost certainly unsuccessful. And if you are successful, you've got it at such a low gross margin, it's not worth selling anyway. And I've heard you say, how you sell is more important than what you sell. What do you mean by this? And how can people, uh, how can people adjust their practices to, to, um, to, to succeed with, with this in mind? The very first conversation you have with a customer, the customer's got to sit back and say, wow, that was a valuable discussion. I really got something out of that. I want to spend more time with this person. So how you sell is creating value through every interaction you have with your customer. And you don't create value by discussing your product. Believe it or not, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, but I've got a great product. They've got to know about it. Yes, at some stage, they've got to know about it. And, and, and they know you're there to look at opportunity to sell your product. But you've got to get the mindset right back to how can I help the customer through their journey? How can I create value for them? So it's about the way you sell. It's about everything we've discussed today, about how you do that discovery, how you disrupt their thinking in a very positive way. Believe it or not, most people want their thinking disrupted. And people say, yeah, I'm not going to go and disrupt the thinking of my customer. It's the old challenger sale thing. I'm not going to challenge my customer. Well, there's ways in which you do that. You ask lots of questions. Yeah, you, you, you tell stories. You get them to start thinking differently in the way you sell, and that's never telling the customer. Selling is not telling the old adage, right? So, yeah, we, we've got to create value through every interaction with our customer. So when you go and plan a call, make sure you're planning the call for the customer and how it can help them rather than plan a call to get what I want. Such important advice. And, and what about when there's... Uh a gatekeeper or multiple decision makers involved in a complex sale, what, what would you say the best strategies are for outside salespeople to um, bring the right people to the table for a discussion and get, get past gatekeepers? It's, it's really interesting. In the book, we spent a lot of time on this subject because it's absolutely critical. You're selling to people. 
even in large corporates where you're selling you know, billion dollar solutions, it's people are doing the buying, no matter how much, yeah, how systemized it is and so on. So you do need to understand the people you're selling to, what their agendas are. You do need to understand what type of person they are, whether they have decision-making power or not. And even as a decision-maker, you know, what sort of decision-maker are they? Now, in, in the book, we, we put a whole lot of archetypes together uh, to help uh, salespeople understand this. So, yeah, you've got to find your champion. Now, the champion can be a champion for you or a champion for somebody else. So you've obviously got to ultimately have them as a champion for you. Then the champion's job is to get the, the decision-making unit to make a decision to all agree on a, on a way forward. And in large deals, you, you and I both know, and most people out there know, your biggest competitor is no decision. Right, uh, and that's th th and there'll be a no decision for a whole host of reasons. But one is that they just can't get the decision making unit to agree to bring all their agendas together to the table, be become transparent, and go through a decision process. So you need a champion that can help take them through that. But you'll have amongst the decision makers you know, the the sages, uh, the accomplices, and a whole host of others that you need to define and really understand, uh, and. You know, understanding the people mapping and how that decision is going to occur and how we can help it uh, help it occur effectively is, to me, a, a critical part of selling. And what about when when you're? How can a salesperson, when you have a client that perceives risk, how can a salesperson lower their client's perceived risk, in particular? When, when you're talking about these types of deals, you're talking about the high, the high dollar value deals, risk always seems to come into the room and it's so, risk is sitting there in the room right there with your customer. Where, how do you, as a salesperson, lower that perceived risk? A really good question. Uh, and you're right, you know, risk will stop deals. Risk will, uh, your competitor will win a deal because you, you're perceived as higher risk, all sorts of things. Risk, risk is top of mind. Uh, so how do you do it? Well, first of all, you've got to build trust. Uh, and, and you build trust by being, one is a domain expert. I, I challenge every salesperson out there that uh, you can't sell effectively to a customer unless you're a domain expert in some aspect of their domain, their business domain. Um, it, I, I sometimes worry about the amount of product training we give salespeople versus build, helping them build their domain expertise. To me, a domain expert will always, a domain expert who has average product skills, knowledge, will sell much better than the top product guy with average domain expertise. Well, especially in today's day and age where, you know, the product specs and the speeds and feeds are, they're all just available on your website for the most part. That's right. The information is right there. What's, what's not is the, is the sales, right? And this is why I've always been surprised that more MBAs don't go into sales because they're, they're so well-trained to under quickly or effectively understand different businesses, different, different types of industries, um, and and wrap, be able to wrap their heads around them quickly because they've seen a bunch of stuff like that before. MBAs so often go into consulting or finance, which which also need that um, skill set of, of knowing a lot about a lot of different industries. But being able to, to discuss an industry the way a consultant can sit down and discuss an industry, um, I think, is so valuable for salespeople that they can really lock in on that skill set. 
we're diverting from the, the question of, uh, yeah. about risk, but I'll get back to that in a moment. But based on what you've just raised, I'd like to tell a story again. <laughs> uh, we'll take all the stories from you. <laughs> um, I, I worked for NCR back in the uh, 80s, 1980s. And they're, they're, they're a customer of Badger's today. Uh, in the early 90s. We, we were selling um, ATMs, automatic teller machines, to the banking industry mm. uh, as one of, one of our product range. And we had a whole lot of, uh, in Australia, a whole lot of salespeople that were dedicated to selling ATMs. And at one stage, we, our market share was down around 27, 30% in Australia. Uh, and we analysed, how can we, we grow this market share? What are we doing wrong? When we looked at every salesperson and who they spoke to, they spoke didn't speak to decision makers. They were speaking to techos. They were speaking to retail bankers who were down in the the bowels of the organization. And then we looked at why is that? And that is because we train these guys to be expert in ATMs, not domain experts in retail banking. So we told all of those guys, you never discuss product again. We're going to bring in some pre-sales techos to discuss product. If a customer ever raises product, say, I'm not the product guy, I'll call in the product guy. I'm the domain expert. We got a lot of domain expert expertise, you know, Back in those days, what was the traffic through branches? Where do you put ATMs and the tellers and all that sort of stuff? And what's the statistics about that? And what's happening around the rest of the world? And so they became consultants going through the consulting. Our market share shifted from 27% to 68% in three years. Amazing. Simply because we started talking the language of the decision makers and not talking the language of the product buyers. Yeah, that that's definitely one to let well, let's sink in on everybody because I think this is something that a lot of sales organizations are missing. They, they we've unverticalized our sales teams. Um, you know, when I started my career, almost everyone was in a vertical, right? Like they sold to the banking vertical or the, you know, my 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 first vertical I was selling to was the insurance vertical, so I was selling to the insurance companies. But the yeah, it was so everybody sold. You know, if you met, if you were sitting around with a bunch of sales guys 20 years ago, I swear it was always like, oh, what, what types of customers do you sell to? And it was, everybody had a vertical. And so you, you, if you talked to, you know, 400 dentists this year, if you, if you're asking questions, you're learning a lot about what the problems are about dentist offices. You're learning a lot about the best practices. And then when you're having your, your 401st conversation with a dentist, you have a lot to say and a lot to, a lot of value to add about uh, for, for, for dentists, you know? Um, so that, that's a, such an important point that, that you make. Absolutely. So let's get back to the trust question. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're discussing the customer's business uh, and taking the customer through a thinking journey, you are building trust in yourself for a start uh, and you're dr- reducing their feeling of risk as you go through. But, but even when you get through the discovery, take them on a thinking journey, build a new vision for them, identify what the value will be for that organization. The value is really compelling. And you put a proposal in front of them saying, this will will help you achieve that outcome. They're going to sit back and say, oh, okay, now what what are the risks, right? Where's this been done before? All those sorts of questions. So you need to be prepared prepared for that. In the the book, we take um, everybody through, um, the the book's actually staged through uh, a sales process that is in parallel with a buying journey. And so we, we, we go through E's for, for um, engage, D for discovery and disrupt. 
B for value, and then we have A for authenticate. Now, that's where you really have to address all the, the risk issues, but you need to be accumulating to that point through that whole sales process. Uh, and there's all sorts of ways in which you address risk. One is you've got to make sure that, that you're a trusted organisation uh, and they can feel comfortable with you. Now, if you've done the right sort of discovery and so on, you've done that pretty well. Um, so there's all sorts of ways in which you're going to authenticate, uh, telling good stories, uh, you know, the, uh, taking them on uh, to, to look at other people who have done something similar with you and so on, there are all sorts of ways, but you've got to eliminate that risk. Don't forget about it. The deal right. will stall. It, it's, it's important to think about what you just did there. We talked about how risk was, was ultimately what stops a lot of deals and causes, causes a deal to be lost to doing nothing. And so I asked you, what can you do to lower a client's perceived risk? And, and you basically said you, you get them to trust you. So risk stops your deals. Trust is how you eliminate risk. Really important. Or we'll reduce it anyway, mitigate it to some extent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You can never, but, but always have it top of mind because so often, no matter how well we've done in a sales process, a deal will stall and more often than not, they, they see the risks as too formidable and they can't see it being mitigated strongly enough. In some industries, it's really the biggest, the biggest hurdle to sales, I think. Um, some yep. products in some industries, for sure. Needs to be top of mind from the very beginning of the sales process, which is the very beginning of their buying journey. I don't want to be too pedantic about this, but guys, if you're not into the buying journey very early, then you know, all the, we can do all the qualification in the world, but we, that our risks of winning a business is so high that, uh, that, that you're wasting your time. And tell our, tell our listeners what you mean by the buying journey. What, what do you mean be into the buying journey early? Well, being there when they, they get their thinking disrupted, um, when the status quo is disrupted. Now, as I said earlier, if, if a great salespeople will disrupt the status quo themselves, but more often than not, something's happened, a trigger's happened in the industry. You know, something's happened that said, whoa, hang on a second, we, we're going to be blindsided if we don't address this particular issue or problem. Our competitor's done something or you know, our, our customers are thinking differently or whatever. Something's happened to make them start thinking we're going to do something differently. Uh, so that's the start of the buying journey. And then they start investigating what are the, what's the situation? What are the problems and, uh, that we're going to get out of this? What are the opportunities we're going to get? What, what are the implications of those problems and opportunities? That's, that's a standard consultative investigative approach that they'll be taking. We need to be with them while they're doing that, right? That's our discovery uh, or that's their discovery that we will partner with them on. And, and to me, selling is partnering. It's a consultative partnership. Even if you've got competitors in there, by the way, more often than not, you won't have a competitor. If you're in there when the status quo is upset and you start working with them, you'll find there's not too many competitors around doing that. And it just surprises the hell out of me that there's not, but that's the way to sell. Then they'll, then they'll start. It's, it's funny. It's funny you should say the, the early day, one of our sales reps was, was, uh, was talking to me and, and he was like, yeah, I just found out that, that uh, you know, I just called this, this company. It's a great fit for us. And they just went with this competitor 
and I don't understand why they would ever pick us, pick them over us. Um, so, and, and I was like, well, um, you know, I, I know we have a much better product, but I, I bet what happened was they were there and you weren't. <laughs> like that, there was, there was a sales cycle and they're not going to just, they, they were there. They, they somehow got ahead of it through, whether it's through a Google ad or through calling the calling them, they were in the conversation. They were, they, they were, they were there and, and we weren't. And that's how, that's, that's, that's right. how you lost that deal before you were even in it. That's right. And the only way you win that deal possibly is getting in doing a product sale and dropping your price to nothing. And you don't want to do that sort of stuff. So yeah, you've got to get in early. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing you've got to keep in mind is um, that the, the, the customer buys you and your company before they ever buy the product. Uh, and, and this is, is, I've got a friend called Kian McLaughlin, runs a, a company that does win-loss reviews on big deals, you know, all the big software companies and so on and so forth. Um, and, and it's really interesting that re the research he gets out of that is amazing. And in every single case, the customers have bought the company and the people before they ever built the product. And on top of that, the product and price get you on the dance floor. That's a ticket to the dance, right? So you've got to forget your product. If you've got a good product, that'll get you on the table. But it's, it's, it's how you and your company build a relationship and build value for that customer through that relationship that will win you the business. And yes, your product might be the second or third uh, on the list when you, you assess product feature, feature to feature, but you'll still win the deal. Absolutely. Um... Well, next section of the, the show today is sales in 60 seconds. We've got some quick questions, quick answers. So first quick question, what are some specific skills that can, that, uh, can help salespeople master complex sales? The whole list, but I think the bottom line is, is discovery and the skills in discovery and knowing the process you take them through in discovery. And it's pretty simple. You know, the first... You've got to look at what currently is, what might be, and have a whole lot of questions that you go through. And you need to do that in a way, by the way, hate scripts. Never even have a script or don't even have a question written down on a piece of paper and say, Mr. Customer, I just got to ask you this question. It's got, you've got to be in the moment with the customer. So you need lots of practice at that. But the skill then is asking the right questions. Tactic one in, in uh, discovery is all the what is questions. What is the physical, the intellectual, the emotional type questions. Uh, tactic two is what caused? Uh, the, you know, who, what, when, where? And then going into what might be the why questions and why not? And the stories associated with that. And storytelling is absolutely critical in sales. And then the fourth tactic in discovery is what if questions? What if you did it this way? Let me tell you about a customer that did it this way. They had a similar challenge. This is the outcome they got. What if you did it that way? So you're taking them through a thinking journey understanding how to ask questions and how to tell stories with a framework and then practice, practice, practice. You know, I'm a golfer <laughs> uh, and, and I look at all these champion golfers out there doing so well and I'm like, why can't I do that? Well, I play golf twice a week. I never practice. And I wonder why my golf doesn't improve. You can't practice when you're playing the game. You've got to step back and practice. And we as sales professionals, 
need to put the time into that practice. We need to rehearse with our manager. We need to sit with others. We need to say, I've got this scenario. I'm planning this meeting. I need to practice it. And if, and, and you know, if, if you uh, were playing football, um, the coach would get you to practice and practice and practice your passing, your kicking, your, your tackling, and et cetera, over and over and over again because, 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 so until it became second nature. They wouldn't practice in games. Then in games, it just happened, right? So if, if nothing else, learn how to do a good discovery, learn the process of discovery, and practice, practice, practice. You'll be the best salesperson in the world. And what would you say the biggest challenges are to, to that salespeople, in particular outside salespeople, face when they're dealing with complex sales? What are the... What, what is the biggest issue? What are the, what are the biggest hurdles? The biggest issue I find is people wanting to talk about their product. In the middle of discovery, customer says, yeah, we have got that problem. This is, this, you know, this has really been, we've been struggling with this, been thinking about it. And the customer, that salesperson turns around and says, oh, let me tell you how our product addresses that. Suddenly you're the product sales guy. We'll talk to you when we're ready to buy a product back when the 57% point of the buying journey happens, they'll call you in then. You're not the consultant helping them through how they're gonna solve their problems. So what should they do instead? They should be doing, this is gonna get a little bit repetitive. They should be doing discovery. <laughs> they, they, they they discovery. But, but at that point, at what, what's the question they ask to do discovery right then? Tell me more about it. So, so what, is that, what implications is that having in your business? Have you thought about different ways in which you can address that? Um, you know, what caused it? Let's go back and look at the, some of the root causes. Um, I have a customer that had that problem, but they found out it was actually something else causing that problem. Maybe that's got, you know, let's go and have a look in your organization and see if that occurs. And um, how do you transition to product? Well, th then you take them what I call up the hill. So down the down the hole is really getting down and dirty about understanding their business, the, the current situation, the problems, the implications. And then up the hill is the thinking journey, take, the, the, the disruptive thinking journey you need to take them through. You know, the why and why not questions and then the what if questions to take them to a new vision about how they can run their business or this part of their business or whatever it is. And once they have that vision, even before you start talking about your product, uh, get a, a very good understanding of how they view the value that that would deliver to them, that outcome would deliver to their company because you need to understand the value. They need to understand the value. Unless you've got a, a great value that's going to be derived out of that, you're not going to be successful. And, and you do that without discussing your product. So many people say, sorry, I've just knocked my microphone. <laughs> it's okay. And the thing saying it's changed the microphone. What's my sound like now? All right. You, yeah, you sound, you sound just fine. No worries. Okay. Uh, so, so many people um, are telling me, oh, we've got a great value proposition. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, well, with client X, how does that apply? Well, it applies with all our clients in this particular industry. Uh, my argument is no. You don't take, you, 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 might, you might have a, a 
uh, value proposition or uh, certainly a, a, an idea of how you open the door into that customer to get their attention, but then you drop right back into discovery and you don't discuss value until you go through discovery and through the thinking journey, then I've got another, then you do, then, then you identify the value, but it's a customer's value. It's not yours. I've got a mate that uh, puts this very, very well. He he's talks about sales being a poker game. Let the customer put the chips on the table before you do. So if I quote value, it's meaningless. If the customer quotes their perception of what value they're going to get out of this change in their business, it's meaningful. It's believable. They, they believe it. Uh, now you can run with it. Now, if, if you don't think that's they've expressed the value enough, ask them a few what-if questions that lead, lead them to enhancing that value. But it's them that expresses the value. And it's only then you say, okay, let's, let, me, let me formulate a way in which I can help you achieve this outcome you're looking for and the value. Uh, I'll put a proposal on the table. You know, we've got some, some services and product and we can configure it to really deliver something of value to you. Uh, based on what we've discussed. That's when you start talking about product, not way back in discovery when they say, we've got a problem, great, we've got a product that will address that problem. Your product sales guy all of a sudden, you're not creating value for them. Such an important point, such an important nuance. I, I just, I, I love it. Um, what about differentiating yourself from your competitors? Let's say that that in this discovery process, they're talking about other competitors. How do you, what do you think the best way to differentiate yourself is? Uh, dif differentiate yourself or your product? That's a great point. Um, both. Okay. Yeah. Differentiate, yeah, differentiate yourself by doing the sorts of things we've been talking about, mm -hmm. being a great consultant, understanding how to do really good discovery and help the customer through their discovery process and help the customer through a thinking journey. And that thinking journey will differentiate your product as well, because you'll take, you, you'll, you'll have them going through a thinking journey that positions them to achieve great value that you can deliver to in a differentiated way. Your product, your competitor most likely won't be able to if you've done it properly. Now, I, I've really got to be very careful here. I don't want people manipulating the customer, right? So transparency is very good. Uh, and, 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 and making sure they understand as you take them through the thinking journey, what the options are and, and have, having them express the value of all the options to them. Because once you get that in a position and they have expressed the right sort of value for the options that you're unique in, your offering is unique in, then you're differentiating. And you've done all that without discussing your product. Absolutely. Um, what about shortening a sales cycle because a lot of what you're saying sounds like it takes a lot of time you don't get to talk about your product forever uh, and, and i know a lot of sales reps are saying i'm in a rush to get this deal done how, what do you think what, what's your advice to shorten a sales cycle given everything that we've been talking about and how important it is my simple answer to that is do it right go through the process yeah if you take shortcuts in the process you'll delay the 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 decision making and probably lose the order or not get a decision at all do it right go right back and go through the process properly be a good consultant now everybody says well if i go right back to when the status quo is upset uh, and, and have to work right through them and their buying journey it might be a seven month process eight months 12 month process yeah but if you came in halfway through that 
and tried to sell your product for something they've already decided that your product doesn't quite fit anymore, then you're going to put a lot of time and effort and lose the business. I'd much rather be in there and doing it properly up front. And if you do it properly up front, you know what the times are. You can work to the times. Uh, you're there in control with the customer and the customer values you as a partner. There's no better way to move through the buying journey and the sales process any quicker than you can't speed up a customer decision by manipulating them into, into making decisions or whatever. You need to be there with them through their process and help them through that process. And if you help them through that process, you're more likely to get a decision within a timely way. I couldn't agree more. Most we think we're really clever people, but but people are smart enough to know when they're being manipulated. There, oh, it's, it's it's transparent on ninety nine times out of hundred. Um, well, this has been just such fantastic advice. Where can our listeners read more about your work? How how can they reach out to you? How what if they wanted to learn more from you? How would they do that? Well, well, first is is, is buy the book, the Wentworth Prospect. Uh, you'll find that that uh, will really help consolidate the sorts of things I've been talking about uh, and, and help you understand. Now, and, and most of the people we're talking to do know how to sell. It, it, it's, it's now consolidating that, making sure that they habitually do it correctly. So yeah, the Wentworth Prospect will help that. Read the book. Um, anybody wants to talk to me specifically, reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm consistently uh, looking out for messages and so on. Um, be delighted to um, to respond to anybody. I think they're the, the two best ways of doing it. But please, I've written this book because I I, uh, I just you know, I've been tr throwing pebbles uh, into the ocean for years, trying to uh, make a difference. And uh, my customers, some of them, have just done an amazing job. Um, but I, I, the book is designed to you know, put the tsunami out there and help more and more people who are in the world benefit from it. And you can probably tell from my age, I'm not about to turn around and make a lot of money out of this. I haven't got time left in my, my careers, but I, I really want to give back. This book uh, will uh, make a difference to anybody that enjoys reading a good novel and is interested in enhancing their professionalism in B2B sales. And by the way, Sales Leaders, this is a book that uh, I'd push out to all your people, uh, really will help drive the changes, the transform, transformation you need in the way you sell in an organization. Well, I, I, we all appreciate your wisdom here, John. This is, this is really great for everyone to hear. This has been just a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. Uh, as you know, if you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps. Number one route planner helps you sell 20% more, drive 20% less. And we have free trials. Go to badgermapping.com. If anyone can think of any other sales reps that would, would benefit from the things that John's been talking about today, definitely share this episode with them. Take care. Until next time, everybody. And John, thanks for coming on the show. Stephen, been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.